Hello, my name is Josh Roan, and I'm lead pastor here at Zion Church, a United Methodist congregation in York, Pennsylvania. We're a church with a physical location, but we also have an online presence each and every weekend. But today, I want to thank you for joining us for our podcast, something that's a little bit different rather than the songs and the hymns and all those different things that are part of our regular weekend experiences. This is just the main scripture and the sermon, an opportunity for us maybe to hear again God's word, which we tuned into this weekend, or maybe an opportunity to hear it afresh and anew. So I would encourage you as the week begins to listen in and to lean in to what God is saying to you. Thank you for joining us. I ask you to stand for our gospel lesson this morning. It comes from John's Gospel, the 12th chapter. I'll be reading verses 12 through 19. It can be found in the New Testament section of your Pew Bible on page 104 if you'd like to follow along. Hear now the word of the Lord. The next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written of him and had been done to him. So the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify. It was also because they heard that he had performed this sign that the crowd went out to meet him. The Pharisees then said to one another, You see, you can do nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious God, we pray that Just as you've spoken to us over the course of this service this morning, that again, you would open our ears, that we would hear your voice, that you would open our eyes, that we might see your truth more clearly. And Lord, we pray that you would give us hearts that are soft and malleable, ready to take the truth, the truth of your word, and go and live it out to the honor and glory of your name. And so, Lord, I pray that over these next few moments that you would speak through me, or ask that you to speak in spite of me, but I pray that regardless, your word would go forth and that we, your people, would be changed because of it. It's in Christ's name and to his honor and glory we ask all these things. And together, all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, it was six days before the feast of Passover, and faithful Hebrews from near and far were coming into the city to commemorate the night on which that first Passover occurred. Jesus was in the town of Bethany, the hometown of Lazarus, the man that he had raised from the dead. Jesus and Lazarus are reclining at the table. They're talking, they're reminiscing, they're catching up. There's a lot to be said. The crowds, they just seem to be coming from everywhere, flocking to Jesus at every turn, waiting with bated breath for the next message he's going to share. The healings that have been taking place, oh my goodness, the people have been talking and they have been sharing those stories and now flocks have been coming in droves. People have been coming to be healed. It was an exciting time. And of course, Lazarus has just been raised from the dead. So as they're sitting around that table, there's maybe a little talk about what, has, what life has been like now that he has come forth from the tomb. 
Mary and Martha are also present. Scripture tells us Martha, you can imagine, was busily moving about, making sure that every detail for this meal is cared for. Mary is also putting the finishing touches upon everything. Everyone's eager to eat. But it's then that a beautiful, picturesque moment happens, that moment that we talked about last week. Mary enters the room. She has this jar of perfume in her hands, and not just any perfume, mind you, the most costly, the most expensive perfume, perfume made from pure nard. Lazarus had a puzzled look on his face, maybe. Martha, you know, Mary's sister, probably sighed and said, oh, she's at it again. But what Mary did next took everyone by surprise. She took this expensive, aromatic perfume and she poured every single drop out onto Jesus' feet. No drop was left behind. And then Mary knelt down. She got even closer to his feet and she began to mop up that perfume that was running, drying his feet with her hair. The fragrance of perfume has now just filled the house every single nook and cranny, extravagant love, costly sacrifice. Now more than a few eyebrows were raised by what took place, but only Judas, Iscariot, Jesus' follower, the one who held the money bag, the one who in a short while would betray him, only Judas would have the boldness to declare what, well, some others were thinking. What a waste! This costly perfume could have been sold and the money given to the poor. Imagine what could have been done. Now Jesus knows that Judas' motivations weren't pure. He knew that he didn't have the interest of the poor at heart. And Jesus takes up Mary's cause. He defends her. He praises her actions. Her extravagant love, this costly sacrifice, was a testimony to her commitment and love of her friend and Savior. But Judas wasn't the only one who was incensed by what took place. The whole incident, we're told, left a rather sour taste in the mouth of the chief priest. You see, their popularity was waning just as Jesus' popularity was on the rise. And so they continued to plot to kill him. It's on the heels of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead and Mary's extravagant act of love that the chief priest's anger gets kindled even more. And it's finally at that point that we come to our scripture that we read just moments ago. The crowds that have been following Jesus are now moving towards Jerusalem. They're headed there for the Passover, but they're headed there as well because they heard that Jesus is going Word has spread that he's making his way from Bethany to Jerusalem to join in the celebration, the commemoration of Passover. So wanting to see him, wanting to possibly touch him, hoping maybe to be healed by him. The crowds have started to line the streets. There's a fever pitch. They're eagerly awaiting Jesus' arrival. And in their eagerness, they greeted Jesus with shouts of Hosanna, the crowds extolled him as the king of Israel. It was a grand scene, a glorious celebration. It resembled, although in a little bit more humble way, the entrance of a conquering general or a newly coronated king. They were there shouting his praises, extolling his worth. 
bowing down before him, yet there were subtle differences. Instead of that white stallion of war, Jesus is riding a donkey, an instrument of peace, a symbol, a symbol that everything would be made new. Jesus was also not joined by that typical detachment of soldiers that everyone expects. No, beside him were fishermen and tax collectors. Even the dishonest, soon to betray him, Judas, was in that throng. People bent down, they placed fronds in their coats in the street. They placed them in this place where Jesus and his disciples would walk. Some even took off their outer cloak, a sign of reverence and humility, offering their respect and their praise to Jesus. And of course, it just wasn't the crowds that were present that day. Also there were some of the religious leaders. They had their own reasons for being there, if we're completely honest. It wasn't the miracles that drew them. It wasn't that they hoped to see or experience a miraculous touch. They definitely weren't there to proclaim that the Messiah and Savior had arrived. They weren't shouting Hosanna with the rest. Rather, they were present to see how big the following had become. After all, people weren't coming to see them quite as often as they once did. And even when they did, people weren't asking them to talk or speak or for advice. No, they were telling them about what they heard Jesus say. They'd talk about his most recent miracles. They'd talk about, have you heard about what happened in the next town over? And yes, it did sting a little bit because... Again and again, I'm sure those religious leaders heard his messages were far better and far more lively than theirs. So they were jealous. They were angry. Their time in the spotlight, their time in the limelight was fading. They saw the whole world going after Jesus. And as one translation renders it, they said, this is getting us nowhere. This is getting us nowhere. God was now here. The long-awaited, much-anticipated Messiah and Savior was now here. God had come down. He was now here in the midst of His people, just as was promised. But the irony is, those who should have seen, those who should have recognized the signs, those who should have known what God was clearly up to, they missed it. They were in the dark. They didn't understand what God had come to do. God was now here. God was moving in their midst. God was riding down the street in front of them on the full of a donkey. But the Pharisees believed it was getting them nowhere. Later this week, if we're honest, others are going to feel the same way. They're going to feel a lot like those religious leaders. As Jesus gets closer to the cross, the costly nature of God's love for humanity is going to come into full view. There's no mistaking the lengths to which God will go to show that love. But there will be others who wonder what they'll get out of following Christ. Might they be beaten just as Jesus will be beaten before their very eyes? They begin to wonder, is following Jesus getting us nowhere? And so the crowds as the week goes on will get a little bit smaller and a little bit smaller and a little bit smaller. Might they be mistreated for following him? Would they be mistreated for being accounted amongst his followers? Peter would, it seemed, wrestle with that very question a little bit later on in the week. 
he'd wonder maybe if following Jesus was getting him nowhere. So around the fire, when asked if he knew Christ, he would deny him. When asked if he followed Christ, he'd flat out say no. Might they be taken captive? Just as Jesus would be taken captive in the garden? Going willingly, suffering in love. Many of the disciples wouldn't understand this and they'd wonder, is this getting us nowhere? So some would pull out their swords. They'd pull out their swords to try and keep Judas and the Roman detachment at bay. Now Mary, Lazarus, and a few others were able to see what God was up to. They were able to see that God was now here. They were see at least glimpses of what God was up to. In Jesus, God was now here. In Jesus, God was about to show His love for humanity in a way that the world had never seen or known. He was going to die. He was going to take upon His shoulders the sins of the world. He was going to die in our place so that we might live. Hosanna. The Rescuer has come. The King of kings and the Lord of lords is now here, they shouted on that day of Palm Sunday. The disciples walked with him. They talked with him for three years. But during the last days, during the last hours of Jesus' life, they too would wonder if following Jesus was getting them nowhere. Friends, this week we join with the disciples. We join with the disciples who were there with Jesus as he triumphantly entered the city. We join with them as they enjoy that final meal together with him in the upstairs room on that holy Thursday. We walk with them to the heart of the Garden of Gethsemane, and we watch in horror with them as their friend, their rabbi, their savior is taken into captive and sentenced to death. We join with them as we stand in the shadow of the cross, wondering if all hope has been lost. We experience with them what can only be described as the silence of Holy Saturday, the anguish of not knowing, the anguish of wondering, yet fearfully clinging to what little bits of hope we have left. And most, most importantly this week, we're confronted with one of the most decisive questions we ever have to make. Do we believe that following Jesus is getting us nowhere? that the cost of following him is too great, do we believe that it's not really worth it in the end? Or do we believe that in Jesus, God is now here? Do we believe that in Jesus, God is up to something, that God is doing a new thing? Do we believe that by following Jesus, by following the very Son of God, that there is a way where life springs up where once there was death, a place where joy is found where once there was sorrow. You see, without jumping ahead, we have to acknowledge that for the disciples, the resurrection changes everything. Where they had started to follow, maybe like Jesus, following Jesus was getting them nowhere. In the light of the resurrection, all of that changes for them. In light of the empty tomb, they begin to believe with a new certainty. They have a new confidence that in Christ, God was here and was doing something. That as they follow the resurrected Christ closely, that God is doing something in them and will do something through them. And that hope changes everything. That promise, the resurrected Christ, it makes all the difference in the world. Because those who once doubted, 
will joyfully suffer persecution. Those who once denied that they even knew him, they will, they will be forced out of their homes. They'll be forced out of their homeland, and they'll joyfully go. They'll see it as a God-given opportunity to participate in God's work in places where they never would have been sent before. They'll be so faithful and faith-filled when it comes to their relationship with Christ that they'll sell everything that they own, they'll hold it in common and give generously to those who have need. Many of these disciples will die horrible deaths being martyred for their faith. But now their faith is so strong that they can't refuse to declare that Christ is their Lord. They realize that God was here and that his presence changes everything. So with that in mind this morning, I ask you again a very important question. Do you believe that in Jesus God is now here? And if so, do you believe that God wants to do something new? Something different in your heart and life? Do you believe that because God is now here and because God is up to something, it changes everything for those of us who follow him? Everything about our lives, everything about how we spend our time, everything about the way that we use the resources and the gifts and the talents that he's put at our disposal. Friends, you see, Palm Sunday reminds me that really there are only two ways for us to respond to the truth that God is here. We can either embrace that truth in faith, clinging to Christ, our sins forgiven, the promise of eternal life ahead, our lives changed and transformed in the here and now. Or like the Pharisees, we can say, this is getting us nowhere. And we can run off and build our own little kingdoms and do our own little things. What will it be for you? And what will it be for me?